and will be encouraged through our gathering uh, today. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to encourage you to find a Bible uh, so that you can read along and we can study this passage together this morning. Uh, We'll be in the last part of Ephesians chapter 4 and the first part of Ephesians chapter 5 today. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, or uh, you can access that on your phone however you want to. This this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, has been so packed with content that I have broken it up into three, I guess, three parts now, and kind of taken it in smaller chunks as we've looked at this. And this morning, so we're going to pick up in the middle of Paul's thought that he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And uh, because of that, I want to actually read again the text that we studied last week so that we can kind of hear all of or more of Paul's thought together uh, so that it'll make sense. I think what he says today is, you know, intricately connected to what he said last, that we looked at last week. So uh, I want to begin in verse 17 and then and read th- through what we talked about last week. And then we'll start, uh, pick up in verse 25 and look at some new content, some new stuff this morning. But before we do all that, let's Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we just say yes. We agree with uh, the words that we've just been singing. Uh, that you are all to us. Uh, that we, we want our passion to be the, the proclamation of, the declaration of your goodness and your glory in our lives and to everyone and everything that uh, we we interact with and come in contact with God. We want your love to be the measure of our lives, the, the, the standard by which we align our lives and our hearts to be your love and your saving work through the cross. And we, we need songs like what the one we just sang that we, uh, that we can sing even when our hearts don't quite feel like you're all to us. When we see our lives and we realize that we still We have work to do, we have some ground to cover, uh, that our hearts will catch up to the words that we sing. And uh, this morning, God, we we just want to acknowledge together as a a body and one heart and one voice that we we do believe that you're all to us, you're everything. Um, And we're going to see that this morning, uh, that Paul believed that, that he wanted that for this church in Ephesus, and that he wants that for this church too, that you want for us to be all in with you and to be people who are committed to living lives that reflect who you are here on earth, to imitate you and your goodness. We pray you'll help us on the journey. We pray this morning you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, this is where we, what we looked at last week, but just again, just to kind of remind us And then also to kind of lead us into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Paul says these words. He says, So I tell you this, and assist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of greed, and every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. 
That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So last week we talked extensively about what Paul means in verse 17 by futile thinking, thinking that is influenced by lies that come from the enemy, uh, that deceive us, that convince us, that darken us, that to do things or to behave in ways that are contrary to the way we learned to follow Jesus. And they darken our understanding and separate us from the life of God. And we talked a lot about that, and, and really it's connected to what he talked about there. He writes there at the end that we're created to be new people, that we're to put on our new selves, that we, we're new creations, right, when we come to Christ. And so there's, if there's a new self, right, it, it naturally makes sense that there was an old self at some point. And so Paul says that your new self was to created to be like God. Your new self is created to be a righteous being, a righteous person, a holy being. And this means that even when you and I don't feel righteous and holy, even when we don't feel righteous and holy, that in Christ we are being made and have been made righteous and holy in the name of Jesus Christ. And what Paul wants to say today is is really no small thing. Simply imitate God or practice resurrection, practice living a resurrected life. And so I want us to keep in mind that we in our new selves were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want us to keep that in mind as we pick up in verse 25 this morning. So Paul continues and he says, Therefore, because you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not Give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
I'm not really sure what people who put the Bible together were thinking because you notice there we go like to two verses in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, but that, that thought really is connected to, the first two verses of 5 are connected to the end of chapter 4. So chapter 5, if it was going to start, should, they didn't ask my opinion, should have started in verse 3. That's going to be next week's sermon and conversation. And so I want us to, to kind of bleed into the first part of chapter 5 because it's so deeply connected to what he's just been saying at the end of chapter 4. And at first glance, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, at first glance, to me, it seems to be, uh, or it might seem to be, just kind of a list of random behaviors, right, that are maybe even disconnected. Maybe you don't see the connection as you first read through it. They may seem disconnected from one another. What I want us to see this morning is that I, I believe that this list that we've just looked at from verse 25 through 5-2 is really, I think, like a list of really practical application points of what it means to participate in the life of Christ. It's practical applications, you might even say, of kind of how-to, right? Last week we talked about the fact that the enemy is working. Paul's going to talk extensively about that in chapter 6, about putting on the full armor of God and about who our battle is really against. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities in the world. And it's here that he, he kind of begins to give us some practical how-to advice, commands, instruction on how to fight against the enemy. And so he's just talked about this new life that we've put on, and now he brings these behaviors into the conversation. These behaviors are the kinds of behaviors that people, that, that you see in people's lives when they are imitating God. Honest. Be honest. In your anger, do not sin. Do not steal. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of bitterness and rage and slander and malice. Doing evil, right? For intending evil for people. Be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive each other in the way that Christ has forgiven you. And, and the first thing I want us to see about this list of, of behaviors is what I'm going to call it for today. First thing I want us to see about this list is that they are all guided by what you and I know about Jesus. Right? They're, they're not dependent on how uh, you or I, who you and I are. They're not dependent on you or me at all, really. They're they're guided by everything that we know about Jesus. Everything, every one of them, and I'm going to show you this, every one of them runs through the filter of Jesus. So follow God's example. Be imitators of God that we read in chapter 5, verse 1, really is kind of the filter through which I want us to see all of these behaviors. Why would we perform and live out these behaviors in our lives? Because we're trying to imitate God. So be God's imitation. I, I want us to think seriously about this, this idea, this, this phrase that Paul uses. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Do we feel as though that imitation of God is, is possible, right? We're called to do nothing less than imitate God. This is, this is what it means to be when we say something like to be godly, Right? That's the word imitate means to like mimic or mime or, or maybe could even mean like a shadow, right? Be God's shadow, which a shadow never does anything that the, the thing that it's, be, you know, that, that it's representing doesn't do, 
right? So whatever God does, you do. Mimic God. Be God's shadow. Imitate God. And so we too are to be exactly like God, to do what we have seen God do, to live as we have seen Christ live. And I I want us to be clear on what I think Paul is and what he is not saying. Because again, I, I think if if I got up here and, um, and, I, and I you know, said, be honest, in your anger do not sin, forgive, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? These, these behaviors, you kind of begin to see this. Paul doesn't list them like in a bullet point form, but hopefully you can see that this is kind of a developing list of behaviors. And I want us to be clear that, that moral behaviors aren't the end game, right? They are not what we're chasing. A, a, a clean mouth is not what we're chasing, one of the great lies, I think, that say, of Satan is that following Jesus is about primarily your behavior. Which I think gets sort of the cart before the horse, the horse before the cart, whichever one it is, right? It, it, it gets, yeah, it's the horse before the cart, right? Heart, okay, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> if, you, if we're focused on behavior and we're, instead of being focused on the thing we should be focused on, which is Jesus then I think we, we can miss the point. Our moral behavior is, isn't the point. Our, the focus and the ch- what we're chasing after is Jesus Christ. Because, here's the truth, church, you can't moral behavior yourself into the life of Christ. We aren't good enough to do that. Our moral behavior will not be the thing that makes us holy and righteous. Jesus is what makes us holy and righteous, and Jesus alone. Eugene Peterson says, says it this way, and I, I, I lo- I'm going to share two quotes from him this morning, and I absolutely love both of them. The Christian life does not start with moral behavior. We don't become good in order to get God. But having been brought into the operations of God, moral behavior provides forms for maturing into a resurrection life. Moral acts are forms in the sense that a pottery vase gives form to a bouquet of flowers. Moral acts are forms in the sense that a bucket provides a container for getting water from the well to the kitchen. Moral acts are a form in the sense that a bugle gives form to a compressed column of air so that taps can be played. Moral acts are are art forms for arranging and giving expression to resurrection. We are chasing Jesus, is what he is saying. And it is Jesus alone that makes us holy, right? I want us to understand this so much that when God looks at you because of Jesus, he sees you as holy and righteous, and yet our, our behaviors matter. They aren't what, you know, we don't, we don't become good in order to get God, but they matter. How we behave, how we act, how we speak, whether or not we forgive, whether or not we're full of rage and anger, like those things matter. And, G, and Paul, Paul wants us to be sure that we understand that. They, they matter, but they matter because of the fact that they are the container of, through which the good news gets announced. 
Jesus is the bouquet of flowers. Jesus is the water, right? Jesus is the music. Our acts, our lives are the container for the good news. And yet, as I was looking at the studying this passage, the thing that kept striking me, and I, I don't know if it hits you the same way, but this list that Paul gives us feels so ordinary and so plain. There does not seem to be anything like, you know, all that shocking or, or, you know, unique about this list of things that Paul gives us, right? Honesty, speak truthfully to, your, to one another. Keep your anger in check. Speech, watch your speech and don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of bitterness and rage. Get rid of slander. Get rid of the desire to do evil toward people of any, in any way. Show kindness. Show compassion. Forgive each other. Right? And, and I don't, again, I don't know if, if this strikes you the same way, but as I read this list, I'm like, really? Paul, that's all, that's all it takes? That's all it takes? And I, I think Paul would quietly whisper, or maybe he would shout, I don't know, but he would, he would definitely, with a, a strong affirmation, would say to us, yes, that's what it takes. Imitate God. Like, it, it's simple, and, and, and it's extre- extremely practical, but it will take, as all of us know, a lifetime for us to achieve. We know what good behavior is because We've seen it from Jesus, right? We're following his example. We're imitating what he's done for us and replicating that in the world. And so the first thing, again, I want us to to be sure and understand about this list of behaviors is that they are guided by what you know about Jesus. And the second thing I want us to know is that every one of them, I think every one of them is is a how-to instruction on the command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Paul doesn't say that, you know, explicitly or clearly necessarily, but if you just think about what he says and how he says it, this list is not a random collection of individual behaviors. Each one of them, as I will show you in just a moment, is rooted in God's desire for us to love other people the way that he has loved us. Right? It isn't just that you need to be honest in verse 25. It's that honesty, according to Paul, is the thing that is a way to bring about unity among the body of Christ. As we speak truthfully to one another, as we put off falsehood, what he says is that ha- what happens is that the body, you remember that, that we're all part of the same family. And so unity actually takes place as honesty and truth-telling come out of us. Right? It isn't just that anger is, it isn't that anger is bad, which is a part, the part of this passage that's probably been studied the most extens- extensively, I would guess, by many of us. It's that anger can be a major way, Paul says, to give the devil a foothold, which we talked about, again, at great length last week. And if the enemy has a foothold in your life because of anger, then it's going to be hard to walk in the way of love, right? If I'm angry and I'm holding on to something that I'm angry about, it's going to be really difficult to walk in the way of love, to love my neighbor as I love myself. Anger can build walls between you and the people that you're supposed to love. 
The ones that are easy to love and the ones that are hard to love. And I want to I just kind of pause and make some points about this point of anger. And I do want to acknowledge that, I, that and notice that anger in and of itself isn't a sin, right? How we get angry might be sinful. What we get angry about might be sinful, but anger in and of itself is not a sin. Paul's statement wouldn't make sense if anger was a sin. But one of the ways that, that you might sin while you're angry is by doing the thing that he says to not do. By going to bed when you're angry. Right? Which seems like such an interesting thing. Again, so ordinary. So, like, common. Like, really, Paul? That's, that's the thing? And I think he would say yes. Right? Like, one of the ways that you can sin is by not dealing with your anger. By pretending that you're not angry when you are angry. That what happens is, is a, there's a spiritual thing that's happening physically to your body when you hold on to something that you need to let go of and surrender to God. And But just by going along and like pretending like everything's okay, what we're actually doing, even though we don't physically, we may not physically see the evidence of that, is we're actually giving Satan a foothold to create a lie, which we talked about again last week, to create a lie that we then live under the authority of. Because what you're really doing when you sleep with anger is you're sleeping with poison. You're sleeping with this, this, this you know, this, it's like having an anchor, t- you know, around your foot that you're just dragging along with you. And you plop it up in, you know, to the bed with you and you sleep with it all night and you hold on to it like a teddy bear and you wake up with it and it's still there, right? It just never goes away. And what is, what's happening is that the enemy is getting a foothold. And I think, again, this is one of the ways that Satan lies to you and me. He says, it's okay. They've wronged you, right? Hold on to it. Nurse it, right? Caress that anger, man. Feed it. Take care of it. They deserve your wrath, right? So you begin to live under the authority of that lie. It's behavior that doesn't belong for those who have clothed themselves with Christ, who have who have a new self that they've put on and have put off the old self. That's old self behavior, Paul says. And it's behavior that will make it hard to love your neighbor as well. What is needed, what is best, is for us to deal with our anger. And someone at this point might say, well, Doug, I I hear you, right? I, I hear Paul. But it's really complicated. Like, you don't know about my situation. Or it's going to be really hard. Doug, to let go of that thing. And I don't doubt that it will be hard. And I don't want to try to convince you that it's not going to be really hard, because it might be. Probably will be. But the question that I want to ask you in response is, what could possibly be more important? What could possibly be more important? If you know that by holding on to your anger, that you are giving the enemy a foothold, in your life, what could possibly be more important than surrendering it to Jesus? And Paul continues. And I think the next behavior that he mentions is a really strange behavior. I don't know if it strikes anyone else that in the list of this list of behaviors, of ways of living, right, 
that anyone that has been stealing must steal no longer is written to a group of Christians. That one just strikes me as kind of funny, right? It's not the, the teaching that I would have expected to a group of Christians. But like, I wonder, like, was there such a rampant problem with stealing that in Ephesus that Paul needed to say something about it? But I think the answer to that, it, although it strikes me initially as kind of an odd thing, I think the, the answer to that is actually found in what he says, right? It's, it's that stealing actually robs you of me. And we, don't, we may not physically steal things like robbing stores, but maybe we steal other ways. We steal, we steal relationship moments. We steal, we steal and, and, and hold, hold on to things that we've kind of you know, kept to ourselves. How much, how much would it take for us to understand, I guess, and think about, like, the, his point is that the, the ability, what he wants for us is to work, right? To, to be willing to share, to, to have enough that we can, we can care for others. This behavior is rooted in a desire to love others well. And it's the same with our speech in verse 29. Like, we could get into a debate today about what unwholesome talk really is and, like, which words are okay and which words are not okay. If I say that word, is it okay? Is it unwholesome talk? Or if I say this word, is it unwholesome talk? And, and you know, what should the standard be? And what I want us to see is that I don't think Paul is interested in all that. I think what he is interested in is, is our speech building other people up? Again, it's a how-to for how to love our neighbor as ourself. Your tongue gives you the opportunity to bring God's grace into people's lives. Your tongue and your speech give you the opportunity to bring God's grace into people's lives through your words. And, and I just wonder how much different would our world be if this one command was followed, right? Only let things come out of your mouth that are going to build people up and benefit someone who might overhear it. We can't do much about the world in one day, but we can start by doing it ourselves. And Paul, Paul is just hammering like speech and actions and emotions, right? They all have the power to change when used as a way to express love for one another. When they become for, a form through which the flowers get carried, the water gets carried, the music gets played, then God gets the glory. And again, we don't often think about simple actions like speech and forgiveness and truth-telling and kindness and compassion as behaviors that contain transformative power. But Paul says that they do tr contain transformative power. And my hope is that we will see that through our behavior, the form, right? The form that we in embody, that Jesus can be shared with the world. A practical question that I, that I think should in influence all of our personal policies in life and should influence like all of our interaction with other people is does Jesus do this to me before I do something to someone else or speak to someone else or about someone else or interact with someone or decide how I'm going to treat them or not treat them like does Jesus do this with, with to me can that be a filter through which we we run all of our human interaction with other people and if the answer is no then we shouldn't do it and if the answer is yes then maybe we should because we follow Jesus, because we follow Jesus, we are, we are crazy enough to believe that love your neighbor as yourself while sounding crazy in the world is a viable policy by which we live by. 
And we know what love is because we have received it from Christ first. So imitate God. Be God's shadow. And this all leads, I think, to the most interesting piece of this section of the letter, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does Paul mean by grieving the Holy Spirit? Right? The answer is found, I think, in remembering that these behaviors are the forms through which the Holy Spirit is going to use these forms to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. The forms are the container. They are the vase, the instrument, the bucket to hold the water. But it's the Holy Spirit, we understand, right, that makes these forms powerful, that fills them with power. It's the Holy Spirit that takes ordinary actions like speech and forgiveness and kindness that are just common, right? Most people would agree those are like decent human behaviors that everybody should have, whether they follow Jesus or not. But God takes those decent human behaviors and he fills them with his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now they have the power to change people's lives, starting with your life and starting with mine. And what Paul is saying is that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are, you're God's person. And you've been marked with a seal by the Holy Spirit, right? Marked with this protective seal that we call the Holy Spirit. Remember, remember your mom, maybe your mom said something like, as you walked out the door, remember who you are. Or maybe your grandmother used to tell you, like, behave yourself when you go out and do something. Like, to me, this, this is Paul's ultimate way of saying behave yourself. Remember who you are. As a part of God's family, Jesus says, you bear God's last name. If we were a team, God's last name would be on the back of our jersey. So remember that, right? And don't act in a way that's contrary to the last name that you're wearing on the back of your jersey. Instead, imitate God in your behavior toward other people. And again, as I've looked at this list this week, I've just been amazed at how how simple it really feels. Like speech, our words, actions, emotions, like can they really make a difference? By themselves, maybe, maybe not, probably not. But when they're filled with the Spirit, they can, they can hold beautiful flowers, they can play beautiful music, they can carry the water of life to the world that is thirsty. By, by themselves, maybe they can't do much, but when they're filled with the Spirit, they become tools for and, and to connect this just in a quick way to last week's message about how the futility of our thinking darkens our understanding and separates us from the life of God, what I want us to see, church, is that, that these ordinary actions, when filled with the Spirit of God, they become tools for defeating the enemy, for releasing the enemy's hold on your life. Right? This is what happens when we forgive. And I've used this example before. Forgiveness is a human physical action where I speak words to someone, I forgive you. Or maybe I don't, I don't actually get to speak those words for whatever reason, but I choose forgiveness. A physical thing happens in, in the spiritual realm that we may or may not ever see, but what's happening is that Satan loses ground as we imitate God. Kindness, right? Speech that builds people up. Like these become tools that defeat the enemy, that, that 
claim this territory as God's territory, that push the enemy line back further. Like this is a spiritual thing that's happening in the spiritual realm. And the Spirit of God is what makes all of it possible. Last quote that I want to share, also from Eugene Peterson. It's a little bit longer, but uh, I think important for what we're talking about today. He says this, When God brings us into this Holy Spirit life of participation, He doesn't make a show out of it. Righteousness and holiness do not consist in walking on our hands or executing a somersault dive off of the dive dive high board. God uses us just as we are to give witness to Him, ordinary actions, to serve, to praise, to help, to heal, to care, to love. God doesn't put a halo on us so that everyone will notice that God is present and alive to make sure God will get the proper credit. And God doesn't seem embarrassed to be mixed up with the lives such as ours, sometimes indolent, not infrequently faithless. God doesn't keep his distance from us to protect God's reputation. Ordinary actions that become transformative through the Spirit of God at work in us. Made into, like forgiveness, ordinary action, wholesome speech, ordinary action, kindness, ordinary, simple, compassion, a basic human behavior, right? But when filled with the Spirit of God, they are made into a righteous and holy act that can change the world. And they break the action, break the hold of the enemy when we do them. This is good news. This is what it means to practice resurrection. And and we know how to do it because we have watched God do it first. And so Paul says, just imitate God. Where do you start? Imitate God. Simple, practical, right? Just, I don't know what to do. Well, what has God done for you? That's the behavior that you model. Be God's shadow. Simple and practical, but it may take a lifetime for us to achieve. May God help us and may Christ be with us. Let's pray.